If I can get us, if I can get us all together, you can remain standing if you, if you can. It's kind of hard to go from the greeting straight into the scripture reading, but we, we can do this. We can do this. Uh, I, I say remain standing if you can because we're going to be standing for a while. We're going to have quite a story here, so you might as well settle in. But it is a thrilling story, and it is our Father's Word. It comes from John chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? 
Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, didn't I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and who had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. They asked, here is a man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And this is the word of God. You may be seated. I want to go back to that prophecy, verses 51 and 52. I want to go back and have you see that prophecy from Caiaphas, the high priest. As high priest, Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation but he would die not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and to make them one. So why did Jesus come and die? And here at least one of the reasons is given, to bring God's scattered children together and to make us one. That was the prophecy, it was a shocking prophecy was shocking not only because of the content of what the prophecy was, but also the one who gave it. This was a prophecy that Caiaphas, the high priest, had given as, in his role as a high priest. I'll tell you, it's a remarkable thing that he said because Caiaphas and all those other religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, they had waited their whole lives for Messiah to come. But they thought that Messiah would restore them what's called the Jewish nation, Israel, to prominence, not the Jewish nation as well as all the scattered children of God together and make us one. 
So, so, so even though Caiaphas is the one who gave the prophecy and through whom God had given this prophecy, he set out to try to keep that from happening. <laughs> he was going to try to kill Jesus, though Jesus dying would be the thing God would use to bring everybody together. You see, you've got to put yourself in the shoe. I think you can understand this. These leaders in Israel seemed to think that they wanted Israel to be as great as they thought it once was. They thought it was great back in the days of Abraham and maybe Moses and, and David. Those, those were the days when, when, when there weren't all these scattered children who were there and all of it were uh, just under, under their own control. They didn't want these other scattered of children of God to be in their family. But I'll tell you, uh, if you go back to think about those days that they thought were so great in their past, they, they weren't all that great. I'm telling you, with, with Abraham, <laughs> with, with Moses, and I don't know if you remember the series I did about David. It was hard to find anything that was all that great. So, so going back, for those of us who know that God is at work, and that history is pointing towards something. Going back to the way it was is never the way to go. We as God's people always look forward to what God is still doing. He has a great future ahead. His eternal plan, his eternal plan, because God made all human beings, his eternal plan has always been to redeem people from every tribe and language and nation. He sees that no matter where you come from, what background you have, you are made in his image. And this prophecy that God gave to this high priest is that Jesus was going to die to bring that about. Are you with me here? Are you? Okay. So this is Pentecost Sunday. Now, Jeremy's been getting us into this. At the very first Pentecost, you heard it today, Acts chapter 2. If you're new to church, you can read Acts chapter 2, and you can see there that God's Holy Spirit came upon and came into people of all of these different languages with a clear implication that God was doing what Caiaphas had prophesied God would do to bring together all the scattered people and bring us into one family and to, to have us be filled with the Spirit of God together to make us one. And, and still today as we gather here, I mean, we see it happening. We see it happening. It is being fulfilled all over the world. And one of the things Jeremy and I wanted to do today is say, it's happening right here at Lake Avenue Church. Does it blow you away that we have 70 first language groups in this one church family, it's pretty exciting for me to be a part of a church like that right here in Pasadena, California. However, the Bible is very clear that even though this was prophesied and Jesus died to, take it, uh, to make it happen, that there is still a whole lot of work that God has to do for this to happen in all of its fullness, for all the brokenness of people to come together and for each one of us to become all that God would have us to be. And that in fact, even as the prophecy was given, the very one giving it was going to be fighting against it. And so when God is at work, there are always going to be things battling against what God's trying to do in our lives. Have you ever felt that? And what he's trying to do in our church. And with that in mind, what we've already seen in this series that we've been doing on signs is a lot of the battles that still have to be won over shame and over sickness. And we've, we've seen over and over again that Jesus has the power to step in to those difficult places that are still here in this world and begin to make a difference. I don't know if you've been here. 
I wonder if anybody's been here every week. Uh, John chapter 2, the, 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 these families, the shame that was going to come into that family if, if Jesus hadn't stepped in and done what they couldn't do on their own. John chapter 4, a father whose child was dying and he was in utter despair. Is there any hope when these th sorts of things happen? And in John chapter 5 and then also in John chapter 9, people who were so sick and, and the... Uh, the person who was lame in John 5 and the blind man in John 9, that would have taken away their career opportunities and it affected their families. The hunger of the people in the wilderness. That came. You remember all of these things and Jesus had the ability to step into all of those places and make a difference. He has a power to take all the broken things in this world and to change them so that they won't stay that way. But I am telling you this, there was one great enemy that is always out there, that all these other things that Jesus did, if this one great enemy is not defeated, that no matter what you do, he does about the shame of a family or, or the healing of a man, this one enemy is gonna take it all away anyway in the long run. And you know what that enemy is, don't you? The great enemy is, is death itself. That if Jesus cannot do so in many ways, this seventh sign is not simply the final sign in a series. It's the one that had to happen. It's, it's the big one. <laughs> if, if, if Jesus cannot deal with death in this world, then death takes everything else away that we think is so important. And that's why we have this as the seventh and final sign. And it really is the turning point of the whole Gospel of John. Uh, up to this point, he's been talking about the life of Jesus. Now he's going to be focusing on the death of Jesus. This sign is going to point to what's going to happen when Jesus went into the tomb himself in a few days. After this happened with Lazarus, they were going to wonder, does he have power over the death? And, and here they're going to know that he does. It was the turning point. A turning point doesn't mean that there aren't still some battles that have to be, to be fought, right? But now we're going to know that he has the, the power to do it, to defeat every enemy in this world, including death itself. So I thought, what is this like? What is this like? And, and this week, as I was watching the news, I'll call it D-Day, for example. This past Thursday, we remembered the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Um, on June 6, 1944, the Allied forces of Britain, the United States, France and Canada attacked the German Nazi forces on the coast of Normandy, France. They, they all came, so I, I found this, this is such a simple illustration of this, where all of these uh, came together. They had a huge force of about 150,000 soldiers. They attacked and were able to gain a victory over these forces that looked like they might never be defeated. But as you know, even though this was the turning point of the war, which is so often is called, that wasn't the last battle that was fought. It was the start of what continued to be a long and costly campaign. At first, just to liberate, you know, Northwest Europe from Nazi Germany uh, at that time, but also they knew it was growing, it was growing, it was growing, it was having influence everywhere and had inroads into Great Britain and into the United States itself. And so this was the thing that turned the point turn the, the matter so that eventually victory could be won. And I'll just let you know today, we have at least one member of our church who was there. And he is sitting right up here, one, two, the third row, <laughs> Bob Phillips. 
Bob, yeah, you have to stand. Now, it, if you'll give me the chance, I'll tell you a little bit about what Bob did. He was in the old uh, Army Air Corps, just like my dad was. Bob and I were talking about this before. He was with the 8th Air Corps unit. He had flown 29 missions before the big one came, D-Day. Uh, I have a picture of Bob back then. Can, we, can you show me Bob's picture? Bob, you look exactly the same. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, so what he did, he was the gunner and the radio operator flying in the old B-17s. If, you, if you're a, a plane guy, you'll know it. He's a, it was called the Flying Fortress. Got to show you the picture of that too. His assignment and his group's assignment was to drop bombs on bridges and railroads behind enemy lines uh, to, to keep the reinforcements, the German reinforcements, from getting there to the beach at Normandy. Uh, th that was a four-engine plane. Bob, uh, I heard that two of the engines were out before it was over, but you must have made it back because here you are. <laughs> uh, afterwards, and I'm so proud of this, Bob received the Distinguished Flying Cross Medal. So I'll pop that up there too for his service. Now, I, because my father was in the war and I come from a military family, I've often talked with uh, vets from World War II. And in talking about D-Day, they've always made three points to me, which are going to be relevant to the things I want to say to you today. So let me show them to you this. Number one, they knew that the enemy that they were fighting was evil and formidable. It, this, this enemy had to be dealt with or, or it would continue to proliferate and take over more and more areas. Number two, they knew that this battle could not be won without a personal invasion. It wasn't going to be won from afar. Forces had to actually go in to make a difference to change that evil uh, regime. And number three, they knew that that victory at D-Day was going to be the turning point in the war, but that they were going to continue to have to be a lot of battles before tr total victory would be complete. So that, now, th with all that, we'll keep, keep those up there. Keep those up there. Uh, do you see how this is relevant to what's happening in John chapter 11? I just didn't throw this in because I wanted to throw it in, but I didn't just throw it in because uh, it, it happened this week. I just want you to see that this is so similar to what happened in John 11 and Jesus coming in to overturn death because the enemy of death that has come into this world because of sin is evil and formidable. It is deeply, sin is so deeply entrenched in our personal lives and sin leads to death and in the systems of this world. What's going to change this? Number two, this battle against sin and death could not be won without a personal invasion. Somebody from the outside had to come in who could make a difference. And that, that's what we believe in the incarnation. Jesus himself came into this world and experienced the trials, the temptations, and even the death of this world so that he could turn it around and change things. And number three, this victory of Jesus raising Lazarus in John 11 was the turning point in God's war against sin and death. But I, and it showed that he has the victory to do it. 
And when he's done, it's going to be over. No more death and dying. But I'll tell you, there still are a lot of victories to be won before the victory is complete. So John's gospel is clear about this resurrection of Lazarus being the turning point in the battle. So here's, here's what happened. When the leaders of Israel realized that Jesus intended to come not just as Messiah, as they thought Messiah would do, to restore their own nation, but that he was going to bring together people from every tribe and language and nation, they thought the Roman government's going to hear about this, and they're not going to want this to happen. They'll kill us. And so if you read it through in light of that, verse 48, some said the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. High priest Caiaphas said in verse 50, it's better that one man die, namely Jesus, than that, that our whole nation perish. So the die is cast. Caiaphas said from that day on, he didn't say it, but the Bible says from that day on, they plotted to take Jesus' life. So why did Jesus come? He came to bring people from every people group into God's family and to make us one and, and to make sure that when we become one, we know that death itself cannot take, take away what God is doing in our lives. So that brings me to the second thing I want to talk about. When Jesus actually enters into this world, how does he deal with us as people? And this is one of the things I love about this long chapter, why I wanted to read all of it to you. In this chapter, John 11, Jesus deals with a lot of different kind of people. I noticed when I started reading it this week that he seemed to just really know every person's individual personality, each need that they have. Jesus doesn't just use one sort of formula to deal with us all in the same way. He deals with us as if we were his only child. Uh, so in the last several weeks, these last six weeks before, We've already seen the way that Jesus comes in and he deals with each episode differently, the family in Cana, the individual by the pool. I want to see you, you to see how this plays out in this, this chapter too. Let's look at the disciples. Verse 14. Jesus told the disciples, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So you, you heard it. Jesus and the disciples received this message from the family that, that, that Lazarus, the person Jesus loved, was terminally ill. But John makes it clear <laughs> that Jesus didn't go immediately, but chooses, you might say, to dawdle for a while. <laughs> I can imagine me doing that. I can imagine some of you doing that. It's hard for me to imagine Jesus doing that. What's this all about? The commentators say so many things about it. Did, did Jesus want to make sure that everybody knew that Lazarus was good and dead so that this wouldn't just be a resuscitation but a real resurrection? And I think that's a part of it. Is it that, that Jesus wants to teach us that he's not like the old myths and legends of genies in bottles, that he's the kind of person that if you rub him when you need him to do it, he'll do it in, in my time. I'll, I'm able to control him. Well, I think that's a part of it that, that's going on too. Or was he trying to, at this point, set this dramatic stage that eventually would lead all of the leaders to put him to death so that he could die for our sins and defeat it through his resurrection? I think that there is truth to that too. This is one of the mysteries of, of God. He takes one thing that he's doing 
And he uses that for so many different purposes in our lives. It, it's just an amazing thing, and, and we see it here too. But what I want you to see right now is that with regard to his own disciples, Jesus did this. He waited because he knew that waiting would serve to help them believe in him and find life in his name. Uh, I've told you this story many times, but these disciples were like so many of us. They, they'd seen so much that Jesus had done, but in spite of that, their faith was weak. And just think, in just a few days, it was still weak even at this time, in just a few days they were gonna see Jesus crucified and laid in a tomb. I think they would be so shaken, they were shaken anyway, but they would be so shaken that they would have probably asked, oh, we saw those other kinds of miracles, but he doesn't have power over life and death itself, does he? And in this, Jesus says, it was so that you might believe that I chose to wait, was out of his love for him. And in this, I just see a whole lot of the understanding of Jesus for the way we are and the patience of Jesus with us. He often understands how, how, how weak we are so that when the uncertainties and trials come, he knows what we really need so that we can come back to him. I think sometimes he even knows what message you need to hear when you come into church. It would have been wonderful if these disciples by this time had already believed enough in him that when they saw him in the tomb, they would have said, well, he has power over the death. We'll just wait and see what he does. But Jesus knew their weakness and he loved them in spite of it and he does us too. So he said to them, it's for your sake that I'm glad that I wasn't there it's so that you may believe. Well, let's move down a little bit. Let's look at Martha. So Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that. I know that he will rise again on the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. So the story, when Jesus gets to Bethany, first Martha comes to him, Mary stays at home. But did you notice that as I was reading, independently, they came to Jesus and asked the same question. They were rebuking him just a little bit, I think. Lord, if you had been here, why did you wait? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha's in verse 31 and Mary's in verse 32. Of the many things I might say in a sermon about this, I simply want you to notice how differently Jesus responded to the very same comment by these two sisters. It's gonna teach us a lot about how Jesus deals with us in our lives. In Martha's case, it really looks to me like this was a, an objective theological explanation of what's going on. Martha already believed, she said. Jesus, I believe that the Father will give you whatever you ask. You see that in verse 22. Martha already believed that God was going to be raising his people on the last day, verse 24. So do you see it? Jesus simply put those two truths together that she already held on to and applied it to her situation. Yes, Martha, the Father will give to me as the Son whatever I ask. Yes, Martha, there will be a resurrection. But Martha, this is what you just need to know. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
Martha, do you believe this? And that, that was enough for her. Did you notice Martha's immediate response? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you're the Son of God, the one who is to come into the world. See, he dealt with her. She was the kind of person, really, I'm like this too so many times. I just need this question answered, biblically, theologically, rationally. And Jesus dealt with her that way. But then notice Mary. Verse 35, Jesus wept. This is going to ring true to you. As in all of our families, Mary and Martha, those sisters were very different people. Are, are the people in your family different? Are you different with your brothers and sisters or the children that you have? It's amazing sometimes for me. Uh, different personalities, different ways of responding to things, different needs. So when Jesus entered into Mary's life and into her time of need, he didn't begin with a theological explanation. He began with empathy. He felt the pain she was experiencing when, she, when her brother had died. Even though he knew, just, just hold on, I'm gonna do something really good in just a moment. He, he didn't say that. He felt the agonizing sorrow of her loss. So when Jesus saw Mary weeping, what does he do? He wept. So I, I wanna show you, we have so many personalities and needs and issues in this one chapter, but Jesus found a way to enter into each one and to address what each person needed at that time. And that's one of the things I just so much, tell you, I so much pray you'll experience that when you come to church. We're such different people here. It's not just different languages. We, we're as different as these people were back then. But Jesus knows, and, and he will enter into your life where you are. There are gonna be times when you, like Martha, will have very serious intellectual questions, even profound doubts about what God is doing in the world or things that I preach about or things that are recorded in the Bible. I, I want you just to learn that, that God isn't afraid of you coming to him and, and asking him those questions. He won't be blown away by them. Great people of God have honestly come in to the presence of God and brought their questions and brought their doubts. I want you to learn to do that and bring them to Jesus and to always know that he won't give up on you and he won't discard you simply because you're going through a time of questioning and doubts. And I want you to know too that there are times when you just need somebody to weep with you. I know this when I preach to you, that sometimes when you come to church, you don't need me to instruct you or even to preach a sermon to you. Sometimes you just need to know that somebody cares and to be there with you. And do you see it here? That's what Jesus does. No other religion speaks about a God who is willing to weep and suffer with his people. But Jesus weeps when we weep. So it tells us what he is like, but I'm telling you too, it, it, it tells me what we should become as we follow Jesus and become his disciples and have our lives shaped by him. So I, I want us, you know this, I want us to be a church where we're not put off by the tough questions that come, that people ask as, you know, they're going to come. When you leave church and you go out into the workplace and people ask hard things and you don't know what to say, they're going to come. When you go into the university and really smart people raise issues that hit at the, at the heart of everything you believe, 
Questions and doubts are going to come when you go into your unbelieving family and they raise issues that you don't even know how to begin to answer. I want us to be a place where those things can be brought back here and we won't be shaken or, or we discard you because of that. And I also want us to be a church that weeps when our brothers and sisters come and are weeping even if their own foolishness and sin has brought them into that place where what's making them weep is what they've done with their lives. I'll tell you, if you and I have experienced this, that Jesus sticks with us and doesn't give up, that he weeps with us, then we will weep when our brothers and sisters are weeping. So I've written it down, because you know, like I told you last week, I want to embed these things in these weeks that I have with you. This is what I, I want us to be a church that is not put off by hard questions that people often have as they, um, and th that they can bring them here without any fear. And I want us to be a church where suffering people can just show their scars and wounds and know that they'll be met with empathy. Don't, don't you want us to be that? that? That doesn't mean that we just pass over sin, but I'll tell you, never, never, never treating people rudely or coldly. And of course, always offering the forgiveness and mercy and hope of the suffering Jesus, who, whom we profess has offered us forgiveness and mercy and hope. We've got to keep paying it forward. So that brings me to the last thing I want to talk about, what Jesus calls us to do. Jesus told his disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. Verse 14, verse 25, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, verse 25. So you heard the story. Jesus moved from explaining to Martha and weeping with Mary, and he goes into action against the enemy. He did it according to his timetable, as he always does. He did it after Lazarus had been in a tomb for four days. And Jesus tells him, come out of there. And you know, he actually does it, which becomes our basis for hope whenever we have to face death in this world. We now know from this happening that Jesus not only has the power somehow to be able to come out of the grave himself, but to bring somebody else out of the grave. If he can do it for Lazarus, he can do it for you and me and has promised that he will. The greatest enemy that we face in this world has been overcome. The sting of death is gone. And our calling is to believe in him. And that means, when I read this text, to trust him and wait for him even when we do not quite see what he's doing over and over and over again in this chapter we read about Jesus dealing with each person individually and differently but one thing he calls each one to do one thing is the same each person is called to believe in him to trust him even when we don't see and today I don't know what you're facing but that's what you're called to do it might be a reaffirmation of a faith that began when you were a child, but to believe in him and to trust him until you see the glory of God. Do you believe in Jesus that way today? Do you need to make a reaffirmation that you do? Now, I don't want us to pass over this too quickly. Lazarus had been four days. 
Even Martha, after that, that clear confession, I believe who you are, went to the tomb, and when he was going to call him out, she said, but wait a minute, Jesus, he's been in there four days, he's going to stink. Because Lazarus wasn't just mostly dead. You know, kind of like Princess Bride and Miracle Max. He was completely dead. So once again at the grave, Jesus stopped and he said, before I do this, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? All right, if you'd been there, would you have believed? Would you have believed? I, tell you, I think this matter of believing challenges us in so many ways. Maybe it's just me. Sometimes we struggle with it when, like the disciples, Jesus doesn't do the things we think he should be doing. I mean, it made no sense to them. Jesus, you love this man. Why are you delaying intentionally when he's sick? They needed to learn to believe in Jesus and to wait in faith, even when he wasn't doing what they thought he should. It made so much sense. We should go there right now, right? Are you in a place like that? <laughs> Does this message say anything to you? This is a time to say, I don't see it, but I believe in you. And it's clear to me that they needed to learn to trust Jesus when he said he's going to do something that they thought was absolutely impossible, like raising a man from the dead who'd been in the grave for four days. So when he came out, just think about it. I know us. Some of us would have immediately, of course I believe this, but so many of us, we're, we're going to find explanation for this thing. Well, yeah, that's pretty amazing, but I, I imagine he wasn't really dead. He was in a coma probably there. We, we'd start rationalizing it away. Engineers, scientists, don't, don't you think that's what we would do? Lawyers. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened to me. Several years when you sent me, gave me the privilege of going to China, I kept meeting with these pastors over China and they would give me their testimonies, these miraculous testimonies of how they came to faith in Jesus. Uh, these similar kinds of stories that God would break into their lives and they would talk about a man in white meeting them and telling them to do something and they would go and do it and then they would come to meet Jesus uh, personally. And there were pastors now as I was there with them. But it's one of those men that I will never forget. I was sitting there, I was about as far as I am from you right now, Alan and Terry. Um, he told me he was in a prison. He was there because he'd been a teacher and was being re-educated in the Mao regime. He was, so he was there when he, was, he died, he told me, he died. And the medical officials had pronounced him dead. Um, but he was sitting there right, right across from me. Um, I looked up at my translator Pastor Fong, I said, did I hear what he said? And he said that while everybody was saying that he was dead, a man in white came to him and told him when he comes alive uh, that he should go and find a Bible and start reading it. And eventually he, he would come to know that this message about Jesus is true. And so he did, and there he was sitting across from me. He seemed like a credible witness. He, he really seemed to be alive. What would, what would you have done with that if, you, if you'd been your pastor? I, I, I'll just confess to you right now, I found it hard to believe. I found myself finding ways to explain this thing rationally, and there may have been rational explanations for what happened. I know that. But I'll tell you what it's made me do. 
I have asked myself whether I truly believe that the Jesus I preach to you, who does all these things we have seen in these signs, really is still here. I mean, the same Jesus, that his spirit resides within us, that he lives here among us and can do more than I could even imagine. Do I have to rationalize away the things that he does? So I want to make a declaration to you. As your pastor, I've chosen to believe that the Jesus who raised the dead is present with me. And he doesn't leave me or forsake me. And though I cannot often see what he's doing, that he's worthy of trust. So I also believe that he's doing more than I can see. I believe that he can do more than I can ask or even imagine. I'm telling you, in the midst of struggle, sometimes I have to reaffirm that, but that's what I believe, my brothers and sisters. So Jesus asked Martha, uh, do you believe that your, your brother's gonna rise again? And then he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe this? All right, as I said at the beginning of the message, in the Gospel of John, all the other signs lead up to this one. This was the big one, this was the big one. It's, it's the sign that has to be true if we have any hope in this world, in this dying world. So listen carefully. There are countless times when you and I experience things that feel like death. Loss of important things always feels like a death. A relationship, a broken relationship, a loss of a job loss of, of income, so many things. It feels like a death. But I tell you, the greatest enemy still is this one, physical death in this world. If Jesus cannot do this one, then that enemy will take away anything else he might ever give to you or do in your life. And this sign points so this fact, what's going to happen, that Jesus would overcome death by his own resurrection, and that he is greater than this greatest enemy in the world. You know, it's often called the sign of Lazarus. Have you ever heard that? It's called the sign of Lazarus. But I, I sometimes think it's almost as if Lazarus, after this had happened, he'd never have a doubt in, in his mind. But I sort of think of, in John chapter 11, Lazarus may have been the one who would have the most challenging calling actually to believe. I mean, verse 44, when he comes out of the tomb, he has to put on those old grave clothes. Uh, Jesus, when he would come out of the tomb, passes through to a different kind of life. Lazarus has to come back through the same channel he'd gone through. He has to come back into this dying world. He'd been raised, but only to die again someday. I, I sometimes wonder, Lazarus, did he think, did that really happen? I must have just been sleeping. I must have been dreaming that I'd die. This, that, didn't, that couldn't have really happened. You see, he was going to have to live by faith in this world where we don't live by sight again until he would have to face physical death again. So we keep saying Lazarus came back into the land of the living. I, I sort of think he would have said, I've come back into the land of the dying <laughs> where he would have to live as you and I live day by day by day by faith. So I think to him and to his sisters and to all of us who come after him, until the work of God is completed, 
and this family, each one of us complete in Christ, the scattered children of God, are brought together and made one. Jesus is going to declare to you and me in the midst of all sorts of things, I do what I do, I do what I do because I know what I'm doing and I'm really doing it so that you will know that whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So again, I ask you the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in this church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Take this, your word, and just as you did it then, excuse me, excuse me. Father, I pray that you would take this word. I pray I've been faithful to it. Father, empower this word to work in our lives to where we have given up hope and feel that this thing that we have lost is taking everything away to find a renewed hope in you, to sustain us as we leave this place to be able to live for you. Father, for some to come for the very first time to you and to say, I believe. Help my unbelief, but I believe. Father, do your work in our lives. Send us from this place ready to live in resurrection faith. And for this we pray in the name of our risen Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.